Hey guys, welcome to Behind the Brave. I am your host, Heidi Brower. Thank you so much for being here on my very first episode. I am so excited. I'm a little terrified, but I'm also very excited. Before we start, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am the mom of four from ages 14 all the way down to almost eight years old, one girl and three boys. I am the wife of one. We've been married for 15 years, almost 16. I'm a personal trainer and I'm passionate about self-development, growth mindset, uh, growth within myself, and inspiring others along the way. All right, so this is a prime example of growth and personal development. You guys, I'm terrified of this, and I am somewhat of a perfectionist. I think that that comes with being the oldest child of seven, and I have had to tell myself that I cannot do this perfectionist thing with this, or else this episode will take me forever to create. So I am just going to go with it. And there will probably be a lot of mistakes. There will be a lot of things that will drive me crazy. Maybe not necessarily you, but it will drive me crazy. And I'm just going to go for it because I don't know what else to do. I just have to dive in and get this done. So thank you again for being here. I'm so excited to to start this with you. I'm so excited for those of you, and I'm humbled for those of you who uh, pushed me into this and kind of made me realize that this was a dream that I've always wanted to do. And I am really excited about diving in and starting it because I think that that's all we can do. Let me tell you a little bit about the backstory of this podcast. So I've thought about doing a podcast for years and I've never just, I think things always held me back. Like I didn't know what equipment I needed. I didn't know if anybody would listen. I didn't know if I really had anything to say that people would care about. And I finally just decided I need to go for it. I have a good friend of mine, an old uh, business coach who got online and started rapping and doing spoken word type stuff. And it really inspired me to go for it and to just do it. And it made me think about all of the things that we hold ourselves back from just because we are afraid. And at that moment, I told myself, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to allow myself to be held back by my own fears, my own insecurities, my own whatever it was that was holding me back. So I just decided I'm going to start this podcast and I'm just going to go for it. So why did I choose Behind the Brave? I put it out there for friends and family to help name my podcast. And I had quite a few uh, submissions. I found that one of the underlying themes that I heard a couple of times was brave. And I don't know if that's because... Brave and Brower, and they're both B's. And sometimes those, when you name something, it sounds too good together to have the letters. But I just uh, saw another friend who said something about Brave, and I said, I want to go with this Brave theme. It just feels right. Now, I don't know if you guys know, but when you go somewhere, this is me, when I go into a store and my husband's like, what are you looking for? And I said, I don't know. It's going to tell me what I need. I'm not going to be able to seek it out. I'm waiting for it to tell me. 
And this is what happened with this name. I had no idea that this was the platform or the the genre that I wanted to go down. I had no idea that this is the route that I wanted to go. But when I heard my friend say Behind the Brave, I knew that that was the name of the podcast. I've had a couple people kind of confused, like, why, what does Behind the Brave mean? And let me tell you what it means. To me, it means that we all have a story to tell. We have all had to be brave in our lives in one way or another. Sometimes we don't choose bravery. It chooses us. Now, what I mean by that is sometimes there are circumstances that happen in our lives that we are a victim of with no choice of our own to have something happen to us and we have no choice other than to step up and be brave and to fight that battle. Sometimes things happen to us and they are a lifelong battle that we now have to deal with. And that is bravery to me. There are so many people with stories that need to be told and I want to help tell those stories. There are other times when people choose bravery and I'm thinking of those people that that serve our country in the military who have chosen to go into a field where they help people, whether those being nurses or doctors or scientists or um, paramedics, firefighters, any of those first responders or those people who put their lives out there for us, police officers, sorry, I'm just, these ideas are just coming to my mind of these people who I consider brave. And those are more out there where you see those people and you know, those are brave people. But I don't know if you guys know this, that we all have the ability to be brave within ourselves. We all have that ability to have courage and to find that bravery that lies deep within each and every one of us. So my goal with this podcast is to help you discover what is that thing that you really want to do? What is that dream out there that seems so big that you just don't think it's possible to accomplish? What is that that's holding you back? Are there times in your life when you have been forced into bravery without your choice and you came out a stronger, more courageous person? I want to hear those stories. I want to share those stories. When I decided that I wanted to do this, I kept having things in the back of my head say to me, why would you do this? People are already sharing stories. There are thousands of podcasts out there and people already tell really amazing, inspiring stories. Then I had to tell myself to stop and think, A, this is something I've always wanted to do. And B, nobody's telling my friend's stories. Nobody's telling the stories of the amazing people that I know that are in my circle, that are in my network, because I know some pretty amazing people, and I know that their story needs to be told, and I can't wait to share those with you guys. Let me tell you, doing this whole podcast thing has really forced me to be brave to actually do it. I have appreciated the name that I've chosen because it has really forced me to hit record and to edit and trying not to edit too much and just to put myself out there and go for it. I know that the first few episodes are probably going to be messy and they're probably going to be a lot of things that 
drive me crazy, but I couldn't try to preach this thing of bravery and courage unless I was willing to do that same work myself. So here we are, first episode, and we're we're going for it, you guys. So let me tell you why I chose December 1st of 2020 to be the day of my launch. This day has a lot of significance for me, and it has the past 10 years. We had spent Thanksgiving with my family in Ellensburg, just like any other Thanksgiving. We ate, we played games, and just enjoyed being together as a family. Saturday night, I went on uh, what I like to call a little date with my dad, and we had just gone to the store. That was That's really, in Ellensburg, one of the best things to do is just to go to the store. You run into people that you grew up with, you see family, friends. So that's what we did that that Saturday night. And I remember laughing with him and crying with him, and it was just kind of a good cry. I had only had a four-week-old baby, or five-week-old baby, and so I was still dealing with a little bit of postpartum, okay? So my, you know, my emotions were all over the place. That night when we were out, I realized that I had some left kidney pain, and it was hurting pretty bad. I had just passed it off uh, as one of my many kidney stone problems, and I thought I was getting ready to pass another one. I had surgery scheduled for the following Thursday, so I was really trying to just deal with it and think that I was passing another kidney stone and just kind of brush it off. Sunday, the pain on my left side went away. We went to church. We left for home pretty quickly after that, and I started noticing that my right kidney was hurting, and this time it was much worse than the night before. I really felt like I would be passing a stone again, and I was just going to deal with it. That night, I was in so much pain. I also started fevering, which at that time, to me, did not equate infection. I know now that that's what it means, but at that time, I didn't really think a whole lot of it. I just thought that I was still passing a kidney stone because that's what the pain felt like. The next day was Monday. I started throwing up like crazy. I had unbearable pain on both sides, and I tried sleeping as much as I could to pass the day. It was excruciating. Tuesday, I couldn't keep anything down. I kept throwing up. I had a fever, and my sweet husband tried doing everything that he could to try and keep me hydrated. One time that Tuesday, I woke up from a nap with this urge to throw up. Sorry for the details, but this is an important piece. And I threw up in a bowl and it was like this rusty, nasty color, which by the way, I now know is blood. I didn't know that before. I just was trying to figure out what did I eat that looked that bad. And then I had lost all control of my bladder. I know a lot of you are probably thinking, Heidi, what on earth is wrong with you? Why would you not go to the doctor or the ER at this point? And I can only equate it to, A, I was having this inner battle of just wait until Thursday, just wait until Thursday until your surgery. And then I also had this inner battle of, I am a mom of three now. I have to show that I'm strong. I can get through this. I can take care of this. And I just did not understand the dangerous territory that I was getting myself into. So we decided that the next morning I would be going into my doctor's office instead of trying to deal with the mess at the ER. I showed up at my doctor's office and I apparently looked terrible. 
the nurse took my blood pressure and I remember her having to check it a few times, which was really weird because I have always had perfect blood pressure even throughout my pregnancy. So when she was having trouble and she kept taking it and said to me, your blood pressure is 80 over 40. Is your blood pressure normally that low? And I was really confused. I was like, no. And I guess 80 over 40 is incredibly low. I also had another nurse trying to put a dang IV site in me and she had a really hard time finding a vein because I was so dehydrated. Let me tell you, I've had plenty of IVs in my life and that was the worst one. It looked awful, but it wasn't the nurse's fault. It was my fault. Not really even my fault. I was just sick. So I, she had the hardest time finding a vein. Then they started to pump me with fluid and my doctor said that if I didn't look like a million bucks after two bags of IV fluid, that I was going straight to the hospital. Well, we all know now that I did not look like a million bucks after that. And he told me that I was going to be heading over to the hospital. I remember hearing him in the hall saying something like, you have to find room for her. She needs to be in there because the hospital at that time was pretty full and he had fought for me to be there. He told them she's a five-week-old baby, put her in pediatrics. She can be there and somebody can help take care of her baby. So I went to the hospital and they first made me do a CT scan and they took me to my room in pediatrics. And this is where I found my amazing nurse, Tristan. She is one of my very favorite people. She's a hero to me and she is most definitely brave. Let me pause here and go back. Why December 1st? Because December 1st, 2010 was the day that I entered the hospital and we all thought that I was not going to be coming out of that hospital alive. Every December 1st, for the past 10 years, I have chosen to celebrate life because my life was almost taken and it is not something that I take for granted. This year is the 10th anniversary of that week and I could not be more happy than to celebrate my life by accomplishing a lifelong dream and being able to put this out there for everyone to listen to. While it's terrifying, I'm so excited about it, and I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate my life this year. Today, as we celebrate my 10 years of celebrating life, I wanted to share with you the rest of the story, the rest of what happened to me that week, and celebrate these little victories that I was able to overcome. From the point that I went into the hospital to the day that I got released is very vague to me. There is a lot of things that I don't remember. And I'm going to be honest with you, that drove me absolutely crazy. I was trying to piece together hours and minutes and things that people had told me that I didn't remember. And it drove me absolutely crazy that I could not remember these things that were so significant that happened to me. I had friends who told me that maybe it was a good thing that I couldn't remember everything, that it probably would be more scary or that it's probably just a good idea that I was unconscious for a lot of, of the that week. I am so thankful that I wrote what I remembered down. And I also asked Jared to write down what he remembered from that week so that we could kind of piece these things together. So I will kind of go day by day and just explain a little bit of what I remember and what he remembers to 
put this story together for you. So Wednesday, December 1st, when I got to the hospital, they gave me two more bags of fluid. My heart rate was at around the 120 to 130 range, and a normal resting heart rate for me is around is in the 60s. So we knew that my heart was working overtime. And then there was a couple hours where my heart rate got up to the 150 range. They gave me about six more bags of fluid throughout the day. And after that, I don't really remember anything else uh, from that evening. I guess later that night, my heart rate got below 100 and my blood pressure began to be stable. And I had a fever of 102.8. They told Jared that I was in kidney failure. After hearing that, my parents drove over to help out with the kids. At this point, remember, I had a four-year-old daughter, two-year-old son, and a five-week-old baby. Jared couldn't help take care of the kids. He was wanting to and needing to be there with me at the hospital. So I'm so grateful for them that they came over at that time. Later that night, I do remember not being able to breathe very well and waking up crying and saying that my chest hurt. It was so hard. I remember being in so much pain. I remember my sweet nurse, Terry, coming over to help soothe me and kind of work work with me through some breathing methods to help calm me down. And earlier the next morning, she asked before she left for her shift if she could pray with me. And she told me that she was a believer, that she was Christian, and if it was okay, she wanted to pray with me and for me. And she sat there by my bed, held my hand, and offered one of the sweetest, most sincere prayers that I've ever been offered on my behalf. And that moment will stay with me forever. Early Thursday morning, I was told that I was going to have a surgery because I had kidney failure for nephrostomy tubes. Those of you who don't know what nephrostomy tubes are, they are tubes that get drilled through your back into your kidneys so that your urine can drain because I had kidney failure, so my kidneys were not draining urine like our body is supposed to. He asked something to my nurse, uh, my urologist, asked something to my nurse in front of me, and she said that she didn't want to talk about it in front of me. I remember this vividly. And I think at that moment is when I realized that I was really incredibly sick. And it was kind of a really scary moment for me. That morning, they prepared me for surgery, and my surgery started at 1 p.m., and it lasted until 6.30 p.m. I got two tubes placed in my back through my kidneys, and or through to my kidneys, and the doctor that performed the surgery told Jared that he had done hundreds of those surgeries before and that my surgery was the most difficult. And it was because my kidneys weren't enlarged like other people's kidneys usually are. Now, this is the weird thing is I remember being slightly awake during the surgery. I don't think that they put me completely out, but they did obviously have some numbing down in my kidneys. And I remember laying on my stomach because they were doing x-rays on my back to help with the surgery. And I remember wanting to turn my head and getting really upset because they wouldn't let me turn my head. And I remember thinking, what do they think I'm going to do? Just walk up out of here? But thankfully, I was able to fall right back asleep. Here's another funny story. Apparently, after my surgery, I started to demand grape juice and ice. And apparently, I could not get enough of this stuff. I remember from That night, maybe the next day or two, I remember nurses and staff coming in and asking if I needed anything. And 
apparently I kept asking for grape juice. And this one kid, I remember him saying, oh, is there anything I can get you today, Heidi? And I, right before I was about to say something, he's like, let me guess, grape juice? And I remember thinking, how did he know? And he said, well, I can get you grape juice, but I have to go to another floor because you have completely wiped this whole floor floor clean of grape juice. That night, I started to have pretty severe uh, anxiety attacks, and my heart rate elevated, and my breathing became much weaker. So Friday morning, December 3rd, uh, my body turned a grayish color. My breathing rate was very high, and my heart rate was in the 150s again, and they had made a decision to put in a pick line to, and then to move me to ICU. It took them an hour to perform this pick line surgery. And I guess Jared started making phone calls to family members to let them know that I was not doing well at all. I really, I hardly remember any of this. And I remember vaguely a bunch of people's nurses, doctors in my room trying to decide if I needed to go to the ICU. And I remember um, my arm getting messed with during this, this pick line, but I don't really remember a whole lot after that. So Friday afternoon, uh, this is still December 3rd, I had to wear a BiPAP machine to help me breathe because I wasn't breathing on my own and it wasn't strong enough. And I was so freaking mad about that BiPAP machine. It really caused a lot of anxiety for me. It forced air into my lungs, which I now know is what helped one of the many things that helped save my life, but it was still so uncomfortable and I hated it. Also that night, Uh, A cardiologist came in to see me and they did an ultrasound on my heart, an EKG and some chest x-rays. And the cardiologist believed that I suffered a mild heart attack from all of the stress on my body. And my heart was enlarged and it was pumping only at 35%. My breathing rate was 35 to 40 beats per minute. The average adult resting breathing rate is between 12 to 20 beats per minute. So you can see here that my heart was absolutely working in overtime. Here's one of those funny things again. I have zero recollection of a cardiologist, of an EKG, of an ultrasound, or any chest x-rays. I have zero recollection of that. Actually, when I was kind of writing down what happened to me, I remember reading Jared's portion of that and thinking, that happened? I had no idea that that happened to me that they were running all of those tests. The nurses had warned Jared that if I didn't show signs of progress, that the doctors were considering to put me into a medically induced coma so that my body could actually heal. That night, my dad had come, my brothers and sisters all came from Ellensburg, and my father-in-law, Mitch, was there. I remember looking up at him and thinking to myself, I don't remember him planning a visit to come and see us. I wonder why he's here. You guys, I seriously still had no idea how serious I was and that my life was hanging by a thread. It It's crazy to me that I don't really realize how bad it was. Also that night, my bishop came to see us, and I'm so grateful for his visit because I believe that it was more comforting for Jared, and he really needed that support. There is a really significant story that I want to share here that our bishop told us a little bit a few weeks after this visit, but he said that after he got the phone call from Jared to come and see us, that immediately before he left, he dropped to his knees and asked Heavenly Father what he needed to do 
and how to help us. And he said that very distinctly, he heard and felt the Lord tell him that I needed some church music. Now, let me tell you, our bishop had no idea that I was suffering severe anxiety attacks. He had no idea that they were threatening to put me into a medically induced coma. He just knew that he needed to pray for me and he felt that I needed church music. So he called up Jared, asked him if there was a way that I could listen to some church music. Jared told him that he had his phone there for me to be able to listen to it, but that I didn't have any earphones or headphones or buds or anything like that at the time. So before my bishop came to see us, he drove over to the store, picked up some earbuds, and then brought them to us so that I could listen to that music. Now, I'm going to tell you that that music and that church music completely calmed me. It allowed me to relax. It allowed me to be calm and comforted. And I truly believe that that is what kept me out of being forced into a medically induced coma. Because every time I listened to that beautiful church music, I was able to take myself to a place of rest and relaxation. And that was a testimony to me that my Heavenly Father knew me and knew exactly what I needed. And he used one of his servants to be able to bring that to me. And I will forever be grateful for that. The next day, Saturday, December 4th, which was also my baby's one month birthday, uh, I began to stabilize. I guess the day before there was still a lot of infection present and it was either Friday or Saturday that they gave me a blood transfusion to help with my white blood cell count. I don't have that written down what day that was, but I know that it was around one of those days. And Saturday I started to do a little bit better. And I remember being able to sit up in my bed. I remember some visitors that came to see me. I remember uh, my sister-in-law giving me a foot massage and it felt really good. I also remember my grandma and uh, my aunt there again. And I asked my grandma to tell me a story. I grew up with my grandma always telling us stories as we fell asleep. She rose to the occasion again, even as an adult. So she laid by my bed, held my hand, and just told me a story, and I was able to drift off to sleep. Sunday, December 5th, uh, they moved me to a private room, which I think everybody was pretty grateful for. And I stabilized again, and my heart rate was below 100, and my blood pressure was normal, but I still had a slight fever. And I guess my color and my skin started to return again. I was still very weak. And this was a really weird day for me because I remember more details. I remember friends coming to visit, but I also don't remember a whole lot about those conversations. I remember that I walked, I was able to get up and walk down the hall while holding onto a wheelchair. And I remember nurses standing outside of rooms and like literally cheering me on as I walked down the hallway. And that was that was an amazing feeling, but it was also that one walk down the hallway and back completely exhausted me. I had to lay back down because it was it really wore me out. It was kind of crazy. Monday, December 6th, my heart rate was in the low 90s and my blood pressure was stable and the infection showed that it was gone. I had a very hard day emotionally. I think I just missed my babies and I wanted to be able to have them there with me. I wanted... I just missed them. 
they started giving me medication to help strengthen my heart muscles. And I guess the nurse stated that in my chart that the heart attack was changed to broken heart syndrome, whatever that means. But they, my sister-in-law came, gave me a facial. I ended up falling asleep. I remember just really wanting my babies to be there. And I, and I really missed my five-week-old baby. And I really, I begged for my mom to be able to bring him the next day. That night, I had a really bad anxiety attack because somebody came in to check on my BiPAP machine, and I remember it scaring me, and then it literally threw me into this full-blown panic attack, and my nurses, my nurse came in, and she ripped the machine off of me, and she was like, I don't know why they would check somebody in the middle of the night, and <laughs> all this stuff. She was really upset, and she was able to help calm me down so that I was able to fall back asleep. The next day, I was able to walk more with the help of a walker, and they removed my oxygen that day. I remember a few days before that, them telling uh, Jared that I was probably going to be in the hospital for a few weeks and just to be prepared for that because, because I was so sick. I think that after I started getting better and I started walking, they were really impressed with how well I was doing, and they decided that I probably just needed to go home and get stronger and better once I passed um, being able to pass that oxygen test. My first two nurses, Tristan and Terry, came in to see me. And I remember Tristan sitting on the edge of my bed and just crying and saying, you look so much better. You look so good. And I remember thinking, I don't think that I look very good. But she was determined to, to let me know how much better I looked. And I remember asking her, well, if I look good now, what did I look like before? And she goes, I'm going to tell you, you looked like death. She said, no living person should look the way that you looked. She said, you'd had no color in your skin and you were gray. So I, at that point, I believed her and, and I just love that they came in to check on me and they were so concerned about me. So after, I think it was the next, I don't know, Wednesday morning, I needed to pass another oxygen test so that I could be discharged to go home. And I passed it. I don't think there was ever a test that I was more excited about passing. Before we left the hospital, they had set us up with a hospital bed and other equipment that we needed to be able to take care of me at home. And I am so grateful that this was able to happen because I needed to be at home. I think a lot of healing comes from being in an environment where you are comfortable and you feel like you are at home and not in a hospital bed. Although I am so grateful for being in a hospital and for them taking care of me and, and saving my life, at this point, I just needed to be at home. Doctors and nurses were pretty amazed that it only took about a week for me to be able to be discharged from the hospital to go home. I had heard a lot of them say that it was a miracle, that it was amazing. And I don't believe that this was all just coincidence. I truly believe that it was the hundreds of prayers that were offered in my behalf. I knew of so many people that were praying for me. And this was 10 years ago when social media wasn't as prevalent as it is today, but the word still got out and people were praying for me. Strangers were praying for me. People that I didn't realize were praying for me and pulling for me. And I know that Heavenly Father heard their prayers. Many probably think that once I got home, everything was great 
and I was able to live my life and be happy, but the road to recovery was a long one. It was really hard for me to have such a weak body and to not be able to take care of myself or my children. And I had a lot of help and I had to humble myself and allow this help to come into my life. And I appreciate all of those people who made meals for my family, who helped clean up my house. I'm thankful for my sister who came and spent a week with me just to help be up with my brand new baby in the middle of the night so that Jared could get up and work. It's these little things that really helped me realize how how loved I am and how grateful f- for all of those people I am. The doctors had later told us that I had sepsis and sepsis is a little bit more, maybe not prevalent now, but they know how to test for it sooner. And I remember looking it up and seeing that sepsis, when people are in septic shock, they have a 50% survival rate. It was a flip of a coin, you guys. Um, since I've had sepsis, I have known of a few other friends of family members who have passed on because of sepsis. When you go into septic shock, there's bacteria in your bloodstream and your body is trying to shut down all of the organs in your body. And knowing that I had had kidney failure and a minor heart attack or broken heart syndrome, I know that that's what was happening to my body. But I know that because of the medical staff, nurses, doctors, specialists, surgeons, and the countless prayers on my behalf that I am living today. I played a lot of what if games shortly after I was home. I played a lot of what if I would have died? What if I would have left my three babies and my husband alone? What if? What if I wouldn't have gotten better? What if I would have waited one more day to go into the hospital? What if? And then I realized that that was sending me down into a very dangerous spiral of of anxiety, of nervousness, of ungratefulness. And then I decided to turn it around and start being grateful and start to think, I am grateful for those nurses and doctors and specialists. I am thankful for the opportunity that I have to live again. So why December 1st? Every December 1st, I know that my life could have been completely different. 50% chance. I know that I could have walked into that hospital, but maybe not out. I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do with this second chance that he gave me. And that's where I have decided that I have to be brave. I have to do the things that he puts into my heart to do, even if it sounds scary. And even if it feels like I'm going to be judged by others. Because I know that if he has given me this chance and he has put this on my heart, that he will find a way for me to to accomplish it, to, to do it. Now, what is that thing that scares you? What is that thing that you want to do in life and you just haven't done it yet? Think about that. Think about how you can find bravery within yourself. Thank you so much for, for being here with me on December 1st. 
this 10 year anniversary of me being able to celebrate life. I couldn't think of a better way to do this than to share this time with you. I would love to hear from you. I want to know what is that thing that scares the crap out of you? What are you waiting to accomplish? You can find me at Instagram on behind.the.brave. Shoot me a message. I'd love to hear from you. And let's find our bravery together.